Welcome to episode 22 of the Shine Sparkers podcast. I'm Amanda Van Heil. I'm going to be your host, and I'm joined by Roy and our special guest, Kynan Pearson. Kynan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, I'm a creative director in the video games industry, and I'm here because uh, I was a designer at Retro Studios for seven and a half years, and I worked on Metroid Prime 2, Prime 3, and Donkey Kong Country Returns. That is all really, really cool. Um, like legit freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a dream come true to be able to work on Metroid as a huge fan of the franchise. So, yeah. and uh, my time at Retro was some of my favorite in the industry. Great team. What was it like, just you know, when it's a game series that you're a fan of, and then all of a sudden you actually get to become part of it? Like, what what is that like? <laughs> um, I've actually had opportunities to work on quite a few games that I've been a fan of. Going to Retro was a dream come true because, like, when I was at Iguana uh, prior to joining Retro, um, Jules Watchem, uh, who runs um, Atui. And I had worked on basically a Metroidvania game called Forlorn for the Game Boy uh, Color at the time. And so we had done this because Metroid had, had disappeared for a long time. And it was a, it was a small-scale project, but something that we were super proud of. And so that was something that uh, we had worked on, and it never ended up getting released. We had uh, we were porting it to the uh, Game Boy Advance, and then um, Acclaim kind of shut it down just because of the costs of basically, um, well, I don't even know the reasons for, for shutting it down, but we were doing it kind of uh, under the off the record, <laughs> so to speak. So it was just a passion project. And uh, then after that kind of never came out, um, I ended up joining Retro just around the time that uh, Metroid Prime 1 was coming out. And so it was, I don't know, it was, it was challenging in, in that when you're a fan of something, sometimes you have to put that aside to just make the proper progress and do things that are new and unique and not, you know, try to clone the old and just produce something that you already enjoyed. You have to be kind of objective with it. Yeah, you do. But it's, you know, it's always a thrill. And it, it was like, it was amazing to be able to contribute to um, a huge franchise uh, and to also provide some of those new experiences uh, within, you know, the Metroid universe that eventually they came out and the fans have loved it. You know, it's been nice to know that there's some portion of my fingerprints in the Metroid universe and that some of the things that I'd worked on have seemingly inspired some of the stuff that's continued forward, like the Mercury Steam. Metroid Dread has references to the Prime series, and so it feels like it's now all a big medley. So, super cool. Hopefully that answers the question. Maybe maybe too dry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was super cool just to hear just your background on that. And thank you so much again for being here, and we're going to be continuing talking with you, especially after the interview you gave with us last year. So we're happy to have you back with Shine Sparkers. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So for today's group discussion, we're going to be talking about Metroid and other genres. Now, we've had side-scrolling 2D games, first-person adventures, even pinball. What other genres do you want Metroid to experiment with? I mean, I personally would enjoy a third-person adventure. Um, 
just because I that's kind of the kind of games I've always grown up on, and I'd just like to see it from that perspective. I think that would be a lot of fun, just like a big open Metroid. I don't want to call it Breath of the Wild style because everything is being called Breath of the Wild style if it is open world or open air. Um, but, you know, something where you can like see everything kind of just not the first person perspective, but the third person adventure. Uh, I think it'd be fun. Um, but, you know, not full on like Star Fox adventures, but <laughs> something fun like that. <laughs> as much as I love Star Fox adventures. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's exciting. I think that that would be a natural, it's it's almost what we got with Other M in terms of it being uh, third person, you know, like that was Team Ninja, so you had a little bit of, like, it wasn't restricted to the Z-axis, kind of like Metroid Dread became, which I think was the right move for um, for that team to do. But I, I think that, you know, doing something kind of Resident Evil 4 style with an over-the-shoulder aiming mechanism while you're running around, um, much more uh, freedom of camera movement where you can see Samus at all times, where it bleeds into the third-person adventure, kind of uncharted, Demon Souls, you know, Gears of War style, I think would be, I think that would be actually really cool. So it'd be like a third pillar to the, the 2D side-scrollers um, and then the Metroid Prime first-person adventures. Um, yeah, no, I think that that would be killer to see. As you said, Other M kind of tried to blend both types of Metroid. You know, there were some rooms where it looked like it was 2D and then you obviously had the first person mechanics, but I think what you're talking about is fully open worlds where it isn't like confined into one small corridor. Yeah, I mean, in a certain regard, there's aspects of, of Metroid that's about isolation and about the corridor experience, like being able to, you know, like the, the Prime games were rooms and halls, and the rooms got really big and felt like expanses, but they weren't necessarily, um, you know, like a giant open world Breath of the Wild style. I think that, you know, like we've seen tons of sandbox open world games, the Just Cause stuff, that um, embrace more mobility and interesting ways to move around the world with like the squirrel suit and the parachute and uh you know with uh, breath of the wild we get the sailcloth and uh, the ability to climb over surfaces um the prime games always had like a super robust camera system for doing third person elements which was all mm. based around the work that mark hh had done uh for the morph ball and uh i think that that you know, that was already one of those areas where I feel like it proved out that it can work, even if you structured the game exactly like Metroid Prime, where you had rooms and halls and then, uh, you know, morph ball tunnels and you just stayed in third person the whole time, as, you know, uh, some of the early videos of Metroid Prime had shown. I think it totally works. I think that going third person, you'd want to take advantage of, you know, some potentially new mobility options, maybe give Samus some crazier abilities that, you know, allow her to transform into things other than just the morph ball, um, which would give you new ways to move around the world. I know the screw attack being kind of unconstrained, uh, freeform, like flying through the sky might not necessarily work, but there's a ton of stuff that you could do to basically put limitations on it, um, or even just incorporate other abilities that take its place that, um, don't give you, you know, full command of the skies to just basically, uh, break the rules of the entire game. But yeah, no, I think that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. You would have to put limits on it. Um, Kind of like how Prime did with the spider ball and the screw attack. If you were able to just spider ball up any wall, that would 
break the game. Uh, same thing if you were able to screw attack just everywhere. Well, you know, you can create that same isolation feeling in like an open world if it's like very desolate. Um, kind of like how it's common for scuba divers to experience claustrophobia, even though they're in like a big open ocean. It's still like that isolating feeling for some reason. So I feel like they could probably still capture that feeling if you're just like stranded on just some desolate planet and you're just like, I have nowhere to turn. I don't know what to do. That yeah. makes sense. Cause if you're also in a hostile environment, like let's say a planet where humans can't breathe, um, you're yep. in the suit and the suit is all that's keeping you from instant death. So if you get a game over, uh, Samus's suit explodes or dissipates or whatever. Her goose is cooked. Yeah, I mean, um, there's. All, I mean, that's that's one way of thinking about it. But you can also go out of the box where um, you know the blue suit Samus uh, being more. I don't want to say vulnerable because she's not necessarily, but even without the protection of the suit, you know, there are elements of that character that could be in other unusual settings like i even think something more like a final fantasy tactics style um strategy game where uh you could potentially even incorporate other hunters or other uh, ally characters like the gf troopers and and almost XCOM style plan out your uh attacks and samus ends up being a massive hero unit that if she gets taken out then the whole team loses um or even something like a jrpg <laughs> where we get the uh paper mario version of of metroid but not stylized that way <laughs> just something more uh you know turn-based combat full exploration npcs running around towns potentially um yeah, I don't know. I think that there's so many options. Oh, how about like a Stardew Valley style game where you raise a farm of little baby Metroids? That would be so cute. <laughs> and I would play that in a heartbeat. It'd be so much fun. Yeah, a uh, basically uh, Samus's homestead planet, and you've got Etacoons running around, and you can just basically make a giant facility, um, satisfactory style, where it's all fully functional, running. You can. Um, I mean, it'd be like Slime Rancher. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Just surround her with all kinds of cute animals. And uh, spoiler territory, but uh, now that we've got the conclusion to Dread, uh, maybe she could raise baby Metroids. I like that idea. She could. She could clone some with her own DNA and just make a farm of them. Yep. <laughs> Bring the Metroids back. Hmm. Actually, one thing that now I'm just running through the list of uh, favorite games and figuring out where there are uh, interesting fits, but I loved Returnal. Returnal being um, mm. uh, a roguelite format. Um, and I think that uh, Hades, like the idea of basically um, kind of a time loop sequence that Samus keeps restarting and then gets various power-ups that, that differ dramatically as she goes through. But something in the, you know, uh, uh, Link to the Past style camera or Diablo style camera where it's uh, top-down kind of looking at the action. Um, maybe even twin-stick shooter would be, would be interesting and cool. I know for Tomb Raider... Um, they have the Lara Croft subseries, which is like isometric arcade style uh, gameplay. But uh, the core gameplay of Tomb Raider kind of translates well to that. So 
you know, maybe they could do something like that with Metroid, like uh, the way you're talking about uh, Hades. The way the combat works there, you could probably have some spectacular boss fights if you apply that kind of formula to Metroid with a bit of exploration added. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny, but like even with the like Hades, you get a random assortment of abilities during each playthrough. I think that that'd be a, a fun dynamic of, you know, like you'd you'd see things in your playthrough, uh, but then it's kind of like, oh, I didn't get Morph Ball this time, or I didn't get, you know, Shine Spark, or any you know whichever ability so your runs would differ dramatically kind of playing through the same sequences over and over kind of an rng approach yeah that being said i also think that it'd be super slick to do a boss rush style game where the game was more about um just constantly being bombarded with interesting uh and unique boss battles which you know those are highlight moments from the games, but if you did a format where it was almost, I don't want to say Shadow of the Colossus style, but where bosses were the only significant engagement in the game, the rest of it was basically preparation for taking on the bosses. Could be uh, interesting and cool. One genre that I would like Metroid to explore, uh, and I am considering a feature where I go into this, is uh, a graphic adventure game. If you think about the classic sort of games like Monkey Island or Siberia, or more recent titles like the Telltale games, I think that sort of format could work well for more of an atmospheric Metroid. So maybe not so focused on action or going back to Telltale. Specifically, uh, Season 4 of The Walking Dead, there were not necessarily quick time events but you know it, it's an interactive movie with some exploration segments so maybe samus explores for larger periods of time solves puzzles and the like and then you have occasional combat sequences where you either fight enemies directly or for major encounters it's all cinematic in which case you press or hold a button to do a successful move or not that sort of game could work if it's heavy on atmosphere and uh, it has a robust score, good puzzles. If they have dialogue, it should be, if you're a stickler for Metroid tradition, it should be kept to a minimum, maybe the level of dread where it had, you know, occasional cutscenes with characters and then just dialogue from Adam or whatever. No monologues, but conversations here and there. What I'm imagining is kind of a sweet spot between the classic style, like the Siberia, the Monkey Island with puzzles, and the interactive movie segments like the Telltale sort of games. Yeah, I could totally see that working. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Another World, but the idea of um, two characters that can't communicate verbally uh you can get around the idea of basically having to have samus with fully spoken dialogue and keep her more of the silent protagonist style but it could be gestural so it's kind of like samus and another alien who can't communicate using language basically have to figure out a situation or get through a situation working together um you know you could lean into other analogies kind of like uh king kong where you know nobody's talking to king kong uh but there is some form of of communication there or um you know in uh eco where yorda they speak different languages so 
you know, there's there's not necessarily fully spoken dialogue. Mm. But then you've got puzzle solving and working together uh, in an unusual way that would be interesting and memorable. I'm not someone who hates Samus talking. I actually, I would like to see more of it. Um, Me too. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I do wish she would have talked a bit more in dread. Like maybe she responds to Adam a few times. But, you know, people responded positively to her voice role in dread. So maybe there's room for expansion on that in the future. Like maybe she talks at only certain points. Maybe she would mutter something to herself or uh, something like that. Well, I think one of the interesting things uh, is in Dread, she's speaking a different language, which is a made-up language. Um, so there could be the element of you know doing the Panzer Dragoon type of thing, where she's speaking an alien language. So you can subtitle it in any uh, language around the world, always getting the same delivery, and you're not judging the voice performance so much, but still hearing Samus talk as a possible idea. I mean, I just always love having voice acting and performances in games. So that's something I just really enjoy and as well as like performance capture. So I would love it to be like, you know, in the different languages, but that is like an easy workaround. And then you don't have to deal as much with like the angry fans of it doesn't matter how good of a performance is. There's still going to be people who are like, oh, the voice acting's terrible. It's like, no, it was a great performance. And you're just saying that because it's the cool thing to say. So they could avoid that by having Samus just speak it a different language and just subtitle it and then that makes it more accessible to more languages because it's a whole lot easier to subtitle something i feel like than to dub it in every language imaginable yeah <laughs> they did take that approach with dread because aside from adam nobody in the game actually does speak english and adam's voice appears to be like they just ran it through siri or something um which gets around having to cast a hundred different voice actors for every region, and that's why he's able to talk in different languages. Not to change the subject, but one thing that you know just popped out as an obvious uh, direction that you know we saw a little bit in, uh, I think it was Nintendo Land, but much more along the lines of like Star Fox or even X-Wing, Tie Fighter. Um, just having a ship-to-ship -ship combat game, I think, would be awesome. Where maybe you know you've got space combat, you're flying around in Samus's ship, you're getting upgrades, you're basically uh, doing that, and then maybe there's like boarding sequences where you know you will land on another vessel or in a station, and then be able to run around in third person through you know the corridors and take out the core, take out the the crew. Uh, potentially capture an alien bounty hunter style. <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun. You could do like a lot of side quests with that too. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, it, it opens up a bunch of ideas because anyone that's coming to the table for that game, there's so, there's so many opportunities and so many options for what you could do. That would be, that would be interesting and, and unique Federation force, but fun. <laughs> no, it had its moments. I have to say this just because my I one of my favorite genres of all time is fighting games. I know Samus shows up in Smash Brothers, but there is an aspect where I would love to see, you know, a dedicated Metroid fighting game, maybe developed by um, Arc System, uh, who do Guilty Gear and uh, they did Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, 
for them to basically take on all of the hunters, Samus, various characters throughout the history, create some new characters, bosses, and do um, maybe even a, a tag-style assist-based fighter, um, or just one-on-one with exaggerated uh, combos and combat. Uh, more of a traditional fighting game sense. That'd be cool. Would you get to play as like some of the bosses? Would you get to play as like Fantoon or or Crate or <laughs> yeah, or one of the Chozos? I've got a vision in my head of Mother Brain doing a roundhouse kick. <laughs> well, no, I mean it would be contextually appropriate. You could put Mother Brain into a different uh, housing unit than the one that she was in in, in Metroid and Super Metroid. Um, kind of like uh, you know, she's in her capsule and she just hops around. <laughs> well, she could be in a and crushes fighters. An arachnid style body, or maybe it is that she's got her uh, Super Metroid, you know, full boss form, and she's just a, a large, large character. That's what I was thinking with the roundhouse kick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be it'd be cool. Get Crocomire in there. Get some of the maybe lesser known enemies. Bring back uh, Rundus and and Gore and uh, Gandreda. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, just give the cast a, a chance to shine in ways that they weren't necessarily able to do within their own respective games. And if you look at like how much dialogue and how much personality you get in like fighter intros, and you know their the way that they do special moves, the custom animations, all of the unique you know abilities that they have. Like if you look at Nether Realms games. They have custom intros for every single combination of characters that goes against each other. So you'd get to hear, you know, uh, going back on, you know, the uh, silent protagonist thing, but having, you know, intro dialogue where Samus is speaking and uh, you get the quips back and forth between Gandreda and Samus or Dark Samus uh, and Gandreda and, and interactions that you've never experienced before. And it would be a good way to introduce people to the games that like they haven't played yet. And that way they would be like, oh, I want to play this game because I remember playing as one of the bosses in the Samus fighting game. So that would be a good like intro because seeing as Smash Brothers introduced a lot of people to like Metroid and the Earthbound series and like F-Zero and all that. I mean, it would be a way to introduce more people to Metroid. So that'd be really cool. So now I'm getting ideas for, um, like, losing screens. Adam is saying something like, I did not authorize this victory. (laughs) And then Samus loses and she has that scream of rage, like at the end of Dread. (sighs) And then she grabs the winner's head and slams them on the floor and drinks them through her hand. (laughs) There you go. Like you can see um, the the uh, genre expansion happening a lot. Like for instance, Riot, you know, they've got Project L, which is their fighting game based on League of Legends characters, and they use skins from uh, the um, the series. Um, so there's there's a lot of like crossover potential, and I think that anytime that you want to grow an audience, like having an open world. Um, third-person Breath of the Wild-style Metroid game would introduce it to a whole new audience. Having a fighting game introduce it to a whole new audience, like anything that you could do. And Nintendo has typically been really good about doing that with Mario, uh, but Mario's had the sales potential to, you know, for them to go, oh, this would sell a lot better if it was Mario Tennis, or oh, this would sell a lot better if it was Mario Kart. 
Metroid has never sold fantastic, but I see the potential to expand its audience and with the momentum that they've got going on with, um, you know, Dread having come out and, and gotten uh, Game of the Year and uh, with, with Prime 4 coming out. There's there's all this momentum with the Metroid franchise to introduce it to new fan bases and yeah, just pay off the potential because it's super cool. So, Kynan, I would love to hear your thoughts and perspectives on Metroid Dread as a game designer and what kind of ideas you might would have for like a potential Metroid 6 if that were to happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I loved Dread. I absolutely loved it. Um, it was one of those games that, you know. I enjoyed for what it was, and I wasn't looking at it necessarily critically um, in the way that I do other games, just because it's it's very rare for me to be able to put aside my uh, designer cap and just play something for the experience of it. All that being said, um, there are... Like, if I had been a consultant on the project, um, I would have advised for, you know, uh, various things that they could take or leave. They made a fantastic game with or without it. But I think that for, like, the sequel, it would be addressing things from the original game um, and then, you know, expanding into cool new territory. But for the most part, one of the things that I think... um, I loved the uh, the exaggeration and the the visceral quality of all of the abilities that they gave uh, Samus and Dread. So I felt like everything was done effectively, with the exception of the cross bomb and the grapple. And I feel like uh, the grapple just felt like you would get crab claw trying to press and hold too many buttons and a direction and use it, and it didn't naturally put you into a proper swing. It was it was cool for pulling towards surfaces, but I would have preferred to have uh you know more uh empowering kind of swinging potential and setups that that you know utilize that a little better and then cross bomb i had wished that they had done something more like um you know spider ball rather than the the cross bomb or even boost ball um instead of cross bomb Another thing is that the game uh, was kind of a little linear in its in its format in terms of forcing your your path a little too well um, and not giving you the breathing room to kind of explore and to open the game up. And I think part of that comes from there was no like landing site that acts as basically a nexus for you to run back and forth like you get in in Super Metroid. Um, because when you land your ship and then all of a sudden you're you know down an elevator and you don't even know where your ship is, uh, it doesn't give you any grounding like you understand the lay of the land, like where you entered the world, how the world is all connected. So in in the sequel, um, I hope that they you know basically address that and and uh, give you a little bit of a greater sense of connection of the world and an understanding of, of the layout and how things fit together. Um, some of the elevators and trains, um, they feel like they just go to random locations. So you don't have a sense of, of orientation and positional awareness like you do in some of the other games where, uh, it, it contextually makes sense how the connections work. Um, and you, you have, you know, it, it doesn't feel like just random areas that are slightly disconnected. Um, I think one of the big things for me is that um, 
I feel like you got flash shift too early in Dread, and it was too fast and overpowered. So it becomes flash shift the game. Whenever you get flash shift, the character moves so fast that they had to actually start building in additional verticality just to prevent you from like flash shifting uh, across huge swaths of the map. So I feel like... Um, I would like to see the movement speed actually slowed down a little bit more like Super Metroid, um, just because uh, it's such a like flash shift is so uh, useful and so overpowered that it changes the dynamic of how the game plays uh forever after that there's no limitations to it so it really does feel like you're just seeing flash shift flash shift constantly because it's so much faster and you avoid you know uh it gets around enemies uh really easily um i know this is a giant you know just like (laughs) spew of a bunch of information uh so uh i'm gonna pause and uh if you want any clarification on that, or if you had any different ideas on, on some of those things, I'd love to hear from both of you. I hear what you're saying about grounding yourself in the world. Um, this time, I think they went for a different approach because of the central theme of Dread. You're at the very bottom of the planet and you have to work your way up. But since there's no Ravenbeak wherever Samus is landing, she can probably have a bit more flexibility with her next mission uh, to be able to return to her ship and save at it. It is kind of disappointing that you don't actually get to visit your ship in gameplay at all. Like, even at the end, you can't physically run into it and then enter it. Because as soon as you enter the clearing starts a cutscene. Another thing is the the Emmy areas all use the same theme and they divide the other uh, worlds. So it actually kind of dilutes the world theme. Whereas, you know, in Super Metroid, you had a very distinct and understood world theme per area. Um, and because the Emmy areas divide the dread locations, Um, some of them start to bleed together where you have a difficult time understanding where one begins and another ends because the the Emmy themes are are the hard surface, cold metal, um, kind of desaturated look. Um, And they change the music. And while I do like the music in Dread, there's nothing that's like a hummable tune that you're just like, you remember the world because you remember the world music and the theme, and those things connect together. So I would love for them to like create much more distinct um, locations that don't necessarily get subdivided as much. You mean you haven't gone flower picking humming the Gavaran theme? <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, like, the, they're world like i know that mercury steam has incredible artists and some of the the world themes are actually beautiful and are standout um but i do think that the the repetition of the emmy stuff kind of um damages some of the the imprinting that that does for the player that is a really good point because like the music is great but yeah it gets broken up so you don't like get it like in your head as well yeah, it's not as infectious as like Super Metroid or uh, even when you're just cruising through worlds and you're hearing the theme recurring in the Metroid Prime games. Um, 
all of the Metroids that had more powerful uh, musical themes that that you know make you feel connected to the worlds. You were saying about uh, the Emmy theme kind of being the same throughout each zone. Um, when you clear an Emmy from its zone, the theme changes and it's a lot more distinctive. So I'm wondering because AM2R did this because they have a couple of um, Metroid nest sub areas and the theme for that is always distinctive like let's say for uh Ferenia's emmy zone could they have taken a sort of more somber scarier version of the theme of Ferenia and maybe applied like emmy effects to that and the same for other areas to sort of make the music more distinctive maybe it starts out unsettling and then gradually like when you get to the final emmy zone it's you're you're about to die that gives you that sort of feeling uh it's all possible i'm not saying it's not possible but almost if you look at even you know uh movie themes lullabies commercial jingles they're about creating this infectious repetition that becomes ingrained in your memory and so like imagine you know, uh, let's just do a stupid example, you know, McDonald's, I'm loving it. You know, imagine that they had 15 jingles that they would play across all of their different commercials and they wouldn't play the same jingle. So one would be, I'm loving it. And then another one is, I, loving. It just doesn't, you wouldn't have the repetition just like, branding that on your eardrums um so there is an aspect of anytime you break something up like if you have too much it's as it's basically doesn't give any one thing the ability to to latch on the same way it's why a lot of the classic nes uh soundtracks you would just you'd play a level and you would hear that one song looping over and over and over and over and over and over and they're so memorable uh but now you know with productions being bigger it's like they're putting in more effort they're putting in way more music and way more variety but there's nothing that's really like standing out and hooking into you uh, because of, you know, when you hear a bunch of different arrangements of the same song, it takes away from the impact of whichever the best one is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So you need kind of like a, you need to hit kind of a sweet spot between recognizable and ugh, play something else and sick of this. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, just think of what's happened with Star Wars throughout the years. Every time you hear Vader's theme or Luke's theme, it is so memorable that it, like, evokes this emotional response in you. And if they had, like, they gave Luke 15 themes that all differed dramatically from that. And there are various arrangements that make their way into some of the films. But for the most part, they stand, they stick to the the major melodic beat that everyone recognizes. Uh, Well, let's move on to the mailbag. So we asked if Metroid Prime was released in 2022, what quality of life improvements would you like to see made to it? And so here is what you guys had to say. 
Carlisle on Twitter says, what comes to mind might be making the transports for each area work like fast travel and improving the final backtracking caused by the 12 artifacts. I like that because I love fast travel. Like, I don't know, to me, if there's no point to going back and forth, then it just seems like busy work and you've already traveled it already. So I'm all for fast travel. So I love that idea. Yeah, several people are saying fast travel. It's just a convenience thing. Let's see. Oh, yeah, here's another fast travel one. Definitely a form of fast travel since there's no direct from Fendrana to Talon or Fendrana to Phazon Mines, etc., etc. Keep the physical safe. So, and that is from Lexicon by Metroid Dread. Good, good Twitter name. Um, several people have mentioned like the accessibility with like a colorblind friendly mode. Here we go. This one's, this is the one I was looking for from Sable Gear. Came up today in chat. Colorblind friendly mode. Some enemies can be scanned for clues to their beam weakness, like troopers, but some can't. Fission Metroids and P itself, which makes the end game tricky. And some kind of like icon tag on the HUD to indicate a corresponding beam would be great. That's a good point, because uh, I was thinking about this recently with um, scan targets in Prime 2 and 3. Not really a problem for the first Prime, but for uh, the sequels. When you're using the scan visor, stuff is color-coded. So like green if you've already scanned it, red if it's an important object, and blue if you haven't scanned it. Um, so for... If they were to re-release those games, uh, they should come up with an alternative for colorblind people. Here's one that um, somebody mentioned about that. This is, I don't know how to say this, Omega something alpha. Okay, Kono Omega Da is what it says. This person says, when I think of changes to Prime, the one leaf that gets a close-up during the landing sequence comes up. A petty thing to be stuck on, but... Realistically, though, I suggest better colorblind support. All players could benefit during thermal x-ray visor use, too. And then uh, there was a reply to this. Uh, I'm sorry. Guy Mendez uh, says, uh, Ridley's shadow as he flies through Fendrana drifts is also very low quality. Actually, all shadows are very poor, but that definitely would be addressed. Um, I mean... I'm not even colorblind and I had plenty of times where I was like, I can't see this. And I just have to like turn the brightness just way, way up. So that I definitely think would be a great improvement. Yeah. If it's a full on remaster, they'll probably address a lot of that, um, improving texture, quality models, etc. And then we're going to do one more. This is from the Instagram. This is from Powers of Dylan. Comes up with two things. The hope is dual analog stick control scheme that works and feels great. I would personally rather have this than the Switch's gyro controls where you have to recenter every every eight seconds. And then a thought is perhaps they will add additional lore or environmental storytelling somewhere that in time will be revealed to have been a setup or tease for the events of Prime 4. More ways to neatly tie everything together without taking away from the organic, classic flow we're used to with the game. I think I'd like to see that, honestly, but keep it subtle. That would be pretty cool. What if there's a new terminal in one of the rooms of the face on mines? Experiment status update. Metroid Project Dread is complete. Oh my gosh, that would be so awesome. If I find that, I'm going to just die laughing because how meta. I do love some good meta. That's awesome. That is that is that is so perfect. <laughs> so for our next mailbag question, 
What video game genre do you think Metroid could explore in the future? Let us know on Twitter or Instagram. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Roy, of course, thanks for being here. And Kynan, thank you for being a wonderful guest. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Any messages to the community? Or Yeah, ultimately, I just want to say thank you to the, the community. Thank you to the fans. I love seeing all the fan art, fan orchestration, remixes, what the Shine Sparkers bring to the table uh, without the support of basically all of the players that love this franchise and people actually going out of their way to buy the new game and basically uh, beg for sequels and updates uh, and pester Nintendo constantly about (laughs) just giving us more Metroid. Uh, Without that, Metroid wouldn't be thriving right now. And uh, so I'm grateful because as a fan of Metroid, I just want more, more, more. And uh, I, you know, keep it up. And I can't wait to see all of the new creations from the fan community from here on out. Well, everybody, once again, thanks for listening. You can find us online at shinesparkers.net, and you can follow us on social media, on Twitter at ShineSparkers, as well as on Instagram at ShineSparkers. We'll see you next mission. See you next mission. See you next mission. So what are some genres we think may work well for Retroid? For Retroid? Let <laughs> me try that again. I was thinking Retro Studios and mixed it with Metroid. We're recording this on the 8th of February, so the Nintendo Direct is tomorrow. So uh, in before Retroid gets announced, uh, an 8-bit demake of Metroid Other M. <laughs> I love it be even funnier if that actually happened let's see yep and what other genres do we think metroid would be and what other genres would be cool for metroid to experience experience what is wrong with me today (laughs) (laughs) so other m kind of tried to do both by having uh some semi third so other m kind of tried to do both second and god my god break the game uh same thing if you were able to screw attack just everywhere yep for sure i will be right back i'm so sorry my cat is crying and i'm trying to figure out what is happening i'm (laughs) guessing she just has a toy in her mouth and wants me to come get her but i'm just if something's wrong i gotta go check of course Tasha, what is it, baby girl? What? You seriously just wanted me to come play with you? All right. Sorry about that. I was right. She was wanting to play. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Of course she was. So I just threw some toys around and gave her some choices to play with. (laughs) So I'm so sorry for that. It's all good. (laughs) Yep. Because it was about to get like where you could hear it on the mic. She was getting so loud. (laughs) Yeah. I've got a little um, mini Labradoodle who's sitting or basically he's zonked out sleeping next to me while I'm uh, recording this. So I, I understand She's back at it. She can just get over it right now. She wants me to go in there and like just start rubbing her belly and she wants me to wrestle with her because even though she's a cat, she acts like a puppy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh-oh. All right. So where were we? We were talking about. Uh, well, I feel like we could talk about this all day. So <laughs> let's go ahead and move on so we don't have to give Darren a heart attack when he sees all the footage for this. Uh, or not footage, whatever, whatever the word is, recording. This podcast was edited by Darren Kerwin and Giulio Bruschini, with music from Maserati. If you enjoyed the podcast, you could check out more episodes at shinesparkers.net forward slash podcast. We can also be found on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next mission.